Hey, this is Ashley. Hey, this is Marcy. And this is School of Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. This week in Mentor Moment, I want to talk about loving your job, unicorns, and other unbelievable things. I know for many of you, the idea of loving your job is literally absurd. You have, you've never known anyone who loved their job and was paid well, or uh, you um, have never known anybody who loved their job at all. And so the idea that you could love your job, that you can be paid well for the value that you bring to an organization and that you can have real impact in your industry sounds like magical thinking. It's just as believable as a unicorn. But I want to invite you to shift your mindset. I really want to invite you to believe that it's possible for you because it is. Before working with me, so many of my mentees just didn't didn't think that it was possible for them. They didn't think that their transferable skills would work in a new industry. They didn't think that they could secure a new job in the middle of a global pandemic. They didn't think that they could um, leverage their skills halfway across the country um, because no one would hire them um, and pay for a um, you know relocation and move, but that's been true for um, the hundreds of women that I've served through the Mentor Me Accelerator this year in 2020, and I am so excited to serve even more uh, at the top of the new year. This Friday, December 18th, is the last day that I'll be accepting applications for the January cohort, and this program will not be offered again until March 2021. So if you know you are ready. Um, to make more money and have more impact in your career, to get some strategic support in transitioning between careers, asking for a raise, or really positioning yourself as an expert in your industry, someone who can command the attention um, of people in your industry and so that you can increase your impact in the clients, communities, customers, or students that you serve, I invite you to schedule your mentor moment. That is the first way uh, to work with me. Um, it'll give us an opportunity opportunity for us to really learn more about what the most pressing issues are facing your career and help me understand how I can best serve as your mentor. That 20-minute free uh, mentor moment is the gateway uh, to Mentor Me programs, um, and I'm so excited to serve you. Um, and for the first time publicly, I want to announce that I am offering a Mentor Me guarantee. Um, so this guarantee allows for my mentees to go into these programs um, and with the release of like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work for me. Um, the Mentor Me guarantees ensures that when you make the investment um, in the Mentor Me programs, if you don't see the results that you're looking for in your career within um, six months of completing the program, then I'll work with you another six months for free. Um, and that's how strongly I believe in my framework, in the strategies that I um, in which I serve uh, my mentees and the impact that they can have um, when they uh, do the work. Because I, as I often say, it works when you work it. So schedule your mentor moment today at mentor-me.org. That's M-E-N-T-O-R-me.org. So now we're moving into I Digress. And this week, we're talking the things we carry. You all know that Marcy and I are Black women, and we have had the great fortune of supervising Black women at different points across our career. But we recognize that there is a conversation going on in the world of work around some of the interesting, challenging, and maybe opportunity-filled um, 
uh, situations when Black women um, are supervising or being supervised by other Black women. We do not operate in a silo and patriarchal um, and uh, hierarchical frameworks still plague us. Um, and so um, listen, as Marcy and I talk about the things that we carry, what it means uh, to be a Black woman supervising other Black women or being supervised by a Black woman in the workplace um, and the impact that it's had on our lives and careers. So I have never had what I hope would be the great fortune um, of having a Black female supervisor. I've had Black female um, colleagues. Um, I've, uh, you know, uh, had Black or Brown women even like, um, you know, sort of supervise or provide direction for some of my work, but never like a full-fledged supervisor. But one of the things that I have experience, um, I'll talk about first and then I'll talk about some of the experiences of my mentees, but I have experienced um, what I feel like is intimidation and bullying from um, a woman of color who, while she wasn't a supervisor, she definitely was a woman who was in power and she um, kind of supervised or provided direction and support for something that I worked on, like a um, program um, that I was a co-chair for. And it was one of the most like awkward and painful experiences of my career because, you know, even as I think about Marcy, right, like the, the whole purpose of this podcast is right to build community and connections between Black women in particular. And so to have a Black female colleague kind of um, seek to intimidate me, um, share untruths or lies about me and my work, um, bully me um, was like so odd. And like, and I don't even know how to describe it except for to say odd and awkward because like you ever be in a situation where it's like, is this, wait, is this really happening? Are you really trying me? Like, that's how it was. Like, I literally was like, what is happening? Like, is she, like, am I tripping? Is she tripping? Um, but like, like a lot of like cornering, a lot of let me get you alone and gaslighting, you know, a lot of um, just like mistreatment and lies um, and like this gaslighting, this denial, right? These kinds of things. And of course, you know, because I'm the person that I am, or I confronted her and said like, hey, like the way you're engaging me isn't inappropriate. Um, what you're saying is untrue. Um, you know, I don't feel comfortable like engaging you around this topic. I don't feel comfortable meeting with you without other people present. Like that's how it, that's how bad it got. And this was a, a Latina woman and it was so disjointing because everything I know about how black and brown women work together is that like we're collaborative and we build community and we're intentional about connections and uplifting one another and putting other one another on and all this stuff and so to have that kind of vitriol from a brown woman blew me like truly um and you know, I'm grateful that I've since resigned from that leadership opportunity um, and, and, and you know, feel no concern that it'll negatively impact my life or career in any way. But going through that was painful. And I don't think that I would have felt the same pain or confusion if, for example, it was from a white woman, right? Like, I just, I don't think that I would have been as just disjointed, but 
man, it really, it really blew me. So I don't know. What about you, Marcia? Like, have you ever um, had a black female supervisor? I actually have. And one of the things that I'll point out too, is that in our field, like the word term supervisor means something completely different than most of the term supervisor. So I've both had a managerial supervisor as well as a clinical supervisor because I've intentionally sought out Black women for these purposes and these roles. Um, My managerial one kind of more so fell into my lap than anything, but in terms of my clinical supervisors, I've definitely had to work with Black women. And I think the benefit and the beauty of being in the mental health field is that Black women are typically a little more, Black clinicians generally are a little more um, insightful around those engagements and those behaviors. And I haven't necessarily had the experiences in those particular roles with engaging with Black supervisors in a sense of like, it's being it being intimidating or being just like toxic or harmful. Um, so that has been really helpful. But what I will say, though, is in supervising Black women, I think that there has been a expectation that comes from the experiences of either not having worked with Black women as supervisors or like this belief of what a Black woman is supposed to show up as in a supervisory role. Um, And I do think that in some ways that community and that camaraderie and that looking out for can taint that relationship. So for example, if a supervisor is like, oh, this is a Black woman. And so like, we're going to be buddy buddy and we're going to be cool because we're Black women. I think that that expectation can sometimes undermine the excellence that might be expected by the supervisor. And I will speak for myself in particular, like I expect a certain level of excellence when it comes to supervisees. And so I think that I do that in a kind and considered and compassionate way. But the the familiarity that I think that we experience as Black women as a community can sometimes impair the opportunity to really have like functioning um, supervisory relationships. And so I've had the experience of having Black female supervisors. They've been generally positive. I've had a couple that it's been like, I don't know what's happening here. And I've had the experience of supervising Black women and that is the role that I'm in right now. And so it's just interesting to kind of be um, paying attention to what those dynamics are and what kinds of expectations I think that we have in those roles and what the expectations of the supervisee um, has as well. What about you, Ashley? Have you actually had to supervise Black women? I have. um, And I consider that a great pleasure too. Um, I supervise, uh, well, I used to supervise two Black women in my current role. One of them just moved on to um, a different position that I actually wrote and thrilled that she got. Um, It was more aligned with her uh, sort of goals and um, career development pathway. So I'm really proud of that. Um, But I just, so I just supervise one Black woman now. But as you were talking about expectations, like I was over here like stressed because yes, there are so many expectations, right? And I just feel like Sometimes I feel like I'm not hitting the mark on none of them. I'm like, I guess I'm a, I'm a, I'm a disappointment because girl, like, so, so let's go, let's walk through them. Right. So like one of the expectations I feel like 
like when like one of the expectations I feel like people have of me if I am their black female supervisor is that we finna be sister girls like we are finna be friends like yes sis and a lot of like you know fave and energy like this and I y'all know I've talked to y'all about this like I am not friendly at work period <laughs> and and just because you happen to be black don't necessarily mean it's gonna be like that either and I say that and it feels even yucky coming out of my mouth because like I am a girl's girl like I love friends like I love girlfriends but the boundaries between work and friendship are have been so rigid for me um for most of my life and for most of my life right I haven't had the opportunity to supervise black women so I think that Sometimes I struggle with like this idea that like, oh, we supposed to be friends because in my mind, I'm like, yeah, actually we're not. Like the whole thing is that you are at work and I'm at work. Um, but I do think that that's an expectation that sometimes I don't live up to. Um, I think the, other, you know, another expectation is around those, those expectations of excellence, right? So this idea that like, oh, you get it, you understand. So I cannot perform at the high level that I know you expect because you get it and you understand. And I don't get what you're talking about, nor do I understand at all. Um, or, you know, or maybe I do, but that doesn't mean that you can't operate in excellence. And so I do think that there's an expectation there that I don't like. Um, and I think another expectation, and again, this one doesn't feel great coming out of my mouth, but I do feel like sometimes like I, there's an expectation that like, we all need to gang up on whoever. Like, oh, you're a black woman and you get it. So we like come join me as I fight the patriarchy or join me as I fight the establishment. And listen, nobody is team, you know, dismantle racism, oppression, bias, discrimination more than me, like team. But we may not go about it the same way. And I'm not about to ante up like you. <laughs> Like you may desire. Um, and so I do think that there's these expectations, right? That sometimes I'm not rising to, and it often makes me feel awkward. And I think that that like speaks to the, like the unique challenges that, um, that like the supervisory relationship brings, right? Like it's this, like, it's so important to be on the same page related to expectations because when you're not like there, there that breeds resentment and disappointment um and i think one of the challenges and like i said while i've not been supervised by a black or brown woman i have um had like a like directive relationship and there what was challenging is like and i'll go into more detail about this so i was experiencing this right from this brown uh, latina colleague my boss is i have two bosses a dual report and both of my bosses are white women and so I went to my white female supervisor to share with her like what I was experiencing. She was like, actually, that's not okay. That's absolutely inappropriate. I'm going to escalate this to my boss, uh, which is a white man. And I was like, no, 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 no. So you don't understand. I cannot tell on this brown woman. I cannot be out here saying that this brown woman is not like doing her job and bashing her because she's a brown woman. And my boss was like, but you said X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Like, girl, like how she's engaging you is not appropriate. It's not meeting our expectations. But I was just like, like, but, but what they got to do with like, well, girl, we can't say nothing no girl. Like, you know what I'm saying? I play by a code. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to trash no black or brown woman. Like it's not, 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 that's not, no, I'm not going to do that. And so I was over here suffering. Right. And like really struggling and was afraid that it was going to impact my performance, but at the same time, trying to protect her reputation because I didn't want to make her look bad. And that is the challenge, right? Like that's the challenge. And I think it's the same way in the supervisory relationship. Like 
like listen like i know another black person um was shot and killed by the police because uh, for no other reason than they were black and alive and we live in a country country where that's continuously happening and it's overwhelming and how do i balance that pain that i'm feeling the the pain that i know you may be feeling um while holding us all accountable for meeting deliverables that are related to our work right how do i hold space for you right these are these are the things that i've often been challenged by and so yeah i think that there are some real challenges and those are two that like have come up for me just this year um, when it comes to supervise, supervision and, and supervisory relationships. So Marcy, can you share more about like some of the unique challenges that have presented themselves for you when it comes to either being supervised or supervising black women? Yeah, I think that another unique challenge that has come up for me is kind of the ways that we internalize um, the systems that we are generally used to navigating in. So for example, because I supervise a lot of students who are working on their doctorate degrees, they're used to being in predominantly white spaces, having predominantly white supervisors, um, predominantly white colleagues and classmates. And so them coming into a space where maybe they are seeking out a Black woman supervisor, but they're also used to the expectation of their white counterparts or their white supervisors and white professors, they don't understand that that relationship is different. That like, yes, our dynamics, while it's not necessarily going to be sister girl, it is going to be like, I'm probably going to have a different standard for you, which may not necessarily be fair, right? Like, it's not fair that Black people have to have different standards of interacting, but it's the truth. For example, <laughs> as supervised me one time who came to work in tennis shoes and jeans and I said my sweet summer child if you ever walk into this office again with tennis shoes and jeans on I don't care if John and Sarah are wearing tennis shoes and jeans on Saturdays, you don't get to do that. And while like some people might not agree, like some people might be like, no, you go dismantle the system and that might be true. And we ain't dismantled the system yet. And so you can't do the same things that other people have the privilege of doing. Um, and so, but I also think that like white folks won't necessarily challenge black people in certain ways, especially not in the times that we live in right now. And so they may not have ever gotten that feedback from anyone else before, right? Like they might, those people may not have felt comfortable even giving them the same feedback that black women would be able to give to other black women. So while it creates a challenge in some ways, I also see it as creating an opportunity. But I do think that the questions of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in terms of um, what are these tropes that we see of black people in business and black people in different fields. If you come in thinking that I don't have good boundaries or I don't have the competency or I don't have certain things that you stereotypically might see on TV or whatever, that's also going to impact the way that you engage with me. So I had a supervisee who would engage with me in a very different way than she would engage with some of the other white psychologists on staff or the other white clinicians on staff. And I was like, what? Like, what is happening within our relationship that doesn't allow you to feel as comfortable working with me? So 
just some of those like um, interpersonal things, some of the like oppressing oppression that we have internalized, some of the expectations that we have internalized, I think are definitely unique challenges that present themselves. Um, but like I mentioned, there are also so many wonderful opportunities. And once we work through those challenges, um, I've had so many wonderful relationships with my supervisees. I think that because I do go hard for my supervisees, especially for my Black women. There is a level of advocacy that can exist within those relationships um, that I think that they found to be important. There is a level of, I do understand what you're going through. I've been there. So can I teach you how to navigate those relationships with that, which I think is a unique opportunity. There is a space, like I was saying earlier, I think that some white people, white people in general, we all have our biases and our blinders. But I do think that in some ways, those biases and those blinders prevent opportunities to connect with people. So for my Black female clients, there are certain things that I'm not necessarily blind to that I can call them out on and we can talk about and process and have really genuine, authentic relationships with that they may not necessarily have felt comfortable um, being confronted on or having those relationships with another environment. So I think that is also a unique opportunity. And just like the longevity of community, I think is a really good opportunity. Like my networks and my systems and my, um, my community, depending on what that professional relationship looks like, they get invited into that. And that's a space where they can feel comfortable and feel held. So I love the opportunities of being able to supervise Black women. Um, what do you think are some unique opportunities that present themselves in the supervisory relationship? As much as I hate, you know, talk of office politics, um, I do think that, you know, work is a political space and you would be naive to like pretend that it's not. Um, and whether that work is entrepreneurial or in business or in education or nonprofit, it's all has politics, right? And so um, I think one of the opportunities I love is to be able to put people onto those politics, to point out those gaps, to point out those pitfalls, to point out, you know, where you want to be extra careful, you know, where you want to be extra intentional, right? Um, like we want to, we want to be able to protect and support, um, I, I want to be able to protect and support my black female colleagues in particular and, and supervisees in particular. And so that's definitely something that like, I definitely am grateful that I can do. And I think the other thing that I really love is an opportunity to just show that like, I don't have to be the only one, right? Like I actually love that I can be like, oh, well you actually, you could call Kathy, Shonda, Nisha, or uh, Karen to do this too. Like any of them are also available. Like I'm actually not the only one and you're not gonna try to put everything on me, right? And so I actually really love that. And I think that, that is a great opportunity to be able to put other people on and have other people around to spread the workout and not to feel overwhelmed with being the only one. Um, and I know that some black women have reported some serious challenges in being supervised by black women. Um, and I think that unfortunately it is due to patriarchy and the hierarchical framework that we all work in. Like it's the things that we carry with us. It's about who can be in charge and who can have a good idea and, um, you know, who gets a say. It is about, um, um ageism and it, it is sometimes about um you know uh issues around like how much money people make and you know that being me a measure of their worth right like it's about all of that and 
it's not okay, right? Like just because she's black don't mean she can talk to you any kind of way, right? Just because, uh, you know, she's black doesn't mean that y'all gotta be besties. Just because she's black doesn't mean that she's your adversary either. And so I do think that um, like if you're experiencing a lack of leadership, a lack of good supervision, a lack of support and mentorship from a black supervisor, I want you to know that that's not okay. It doesn't have to be like that. And I don't think that that's a function of her being black, a black woman. I just think it's a function of poor leadership. But I also want you to know that it is poor leadership. And I want you to know that it's okay to escalate. Because just like I was saying earlier, you know, with this colleague who was, uh, you know, treating me illly, you know, eventually I did allow my white female supervisor to share with her white boss, so like my boss's boss, um, and he did escalate to her boss, uh, who happened to be a black man. And then all of us had a conversation about how I was to be treated and how I was to be engaged. And I didn't love that I had to advocate for myself to my white female supervisor and to her white male boss, uh, you know, against or you know up against a black man and a Latinx woman, but things had to be done. I did what I had to do. And what's not going to happen is that I ruin my reputation and my good name and that I do uh, less exceptional work because you don't know how to engage me in a professional and collegial manner, right? Like I won't allow that. And so I do um, just want to encourage you to advocate for yourself. I want to encourage you to speak up for yourself, even if that means that you might have to advocate um, in opposition of someone who is kinfolk, right? Yeah, I don't know. Marcy, can you talk a little bit about like, what are some of the, uh, like some, you know, this idea that some black women have reported some of these serious challenges and being supervised by black women in particular and why you think that is and any advice that you might have for those women? Yeah, for sure. I also, before I say that though, and kind of tying it in, one thing that I will also say that I think we've been either alluding to or kind of saying here that I really want to emphasize is like, the uniqueness of having black supervisors period and just how beautiful that is because I think it's so rare especially being in like our levels of positions I had a, a candidate that's coming to that one the interview for my practice to say you are rare like it's rare that I see a black woman having a business and unapologetically centering black women experiences and so that unique opportunity is that we have the space to be the representation that we always talk about that matters. And with that, I think that one of the reasons why some of the serious challenges come up is because we in some ways recognize that, like we recognize that it is rare and people who don't have good leadership um, abilities use that in a toxic way. So the expectation that like, it's only a few of us or the the message that it's only a few of us out there because it's only a few of us, you gotta have all of your ish together and it needs to be on point, it has to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, you're messing it up for everybody. So I do believe like, if you work it for me, this is my name and my reputation, but I don't go about it in a toxic way. There are some people who do because they don't know how to manage people. I also believe that like, if you've never 
had good managers and you've never had good experiences, you're going to do what is taught. You're going to do what you've seen to other people. And so if you've had horrible experiences and that whole idea of like, I had a bad experience and I survived it, so it's fine. And then you continue to pass that same toxic behavior on, just like with parents who are like, you're going to experience worse out in the real world. So I need to make sure that you get worse here so that you're prepared for the worst out in the real world. I think that those kinds of things get internalized and people in the workspace are like, okay, little black girl, the world outside is not going to treat you kind. They are not going to be nice to you. And so we need to make sure that you are prepared for whatever the worst is. And then you do that in a way that abuses them and abuses your power to quote unquote, try to prepare them for the external world, which is not okay. So as Ashley said, this whole like loyalty that we have to sister girls, to kinfolk, to black women, yes, of course, we love y'all, but also you love yourself too. And you can talk to as much as you feel comfortable, your supervisor, because I do think that having those conversations is important. However, if they continue to engage in those same behaviors, you escalate it. You take it to the people who are supposed to be taking care of you and advocating for you, who is the person above your supervisor. And if the person is your supervisor and there is no one else above them, then it is time for you to leave. It is time for you to go because staying in an environment that is harmful and abusive and that person cannot take that feedback, that is not going to be helpful to you. I've had people who've worked in different kinds of environments and different kinds of um, workspaces. If they have a board that you can report them to, you can report them to a board. If there is an association that they're members of, like you have resources and ways that you can get connected to the people that you need to report. But if they are harming you in that way, they're also harming someone else in that way. And so you want to take the appropriate steps to make sure that you are protected and the people who come behind you or who are working alongside of you are protected. And then the other piece of advice is just to make sure that when you step into those supervisory roles, when you become a manager, you remember what it felt like to be torn down. You remember what it felt like to be in a toxic environment and do everything in your power to not be that person as well. So good, Marcy. It makes me um, think about like, you know, what good super, what good supervision, what good leadership um, looks like when you're no longer the only one, right? We talk so much about being the only one and, you know, it's isolating at the top, but girl, like, what does it look like when you're not the only one? And whether you're the supervisor or the supervisee, like thinking about what it looks like, thinking about what kind of environment um, that you're contributing to um, and making sure it's one that's healthy for you and the supervisee or supervisor is critical. Um, and we digress. Next up is All Black Everything. Marcy, what do you have for us this week? So this week in All Black Everything, I want to shout out Something that I just find to be really powerful when we start talking about like Black Lives Matter and what are people actually doing for our communities. So the Atlanta Hawks has reached 
the Atlanta Hawks basketball team in Atlanta, has reached a historic agreement with Black-owned banks. They have essentially agreed to refinance um, a $35 million loan for their practice facility with the syndicate of Black-owned banks. And this is actually the first time a professional sports franchise has had a quote-unquote significant loan underwritten exclusively by Black banks. And the really cool thing about this is it is essentially going to like bolster the capital within Black banks so that they can better serve the Black community. Um, we when we think about Black banks, and maybe we don't necessarily think a lot about Black banks. So thinking about Black banks, what they do is they are trying to have like non-predatory engagements and interactions with their bankers. So those larger corporations, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, not saying that their practices are unethical or whatever. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But because they have so much more capital, they can do things like charge you more interest fees, deny you access to getting loans. And so being able to support small businesses, right? We seek those opportunities out so that we feel safer and we feel more, um, we feel more safeguarded. So being able to work with Black banks on this level draws attention to the need for more Black banks to thrive so that they can um, address the lack of access and capital for Black communities. The other really cool thing about the Hawks that I had no idea about is that they are already doing lots of things to work to empower the Black community. So the Wrestler Gertz Family Foundation pledged investments totaling $40 million to bolster economic empowerment in Black communities in Atlanta. Um, it also includes a $5 million investment into the Herman J. Russell Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, which is the largest nonprofit center for Black entrepreneurs in America. They also hosted, um, they used the arena as a voting precinct for more than 40,000 people in Fulton County to come and pass their cast their ballots at State Farm Arena. So they are legit like trying to do things and trying to support the community, which I appreciate. But I'm just really excited because we don't really think a lot about Black-owned banks. We don't necessarily pay a lot of attention to what that really means in terms of the financial stability for our communities. In minority majority zip codes, Black banks are often, like I said, that primary source of fair non-predatory lending, but there are only 18 Black-owned banks left. Like, 18 <laughs> Black-owned banks, according to the FDIC. So we really want to pour into our communities, pour into the financial stability of our communities, get back up our Black Wall Street. And so I'm really excited about this start. And I hope that as all these people are hollering out Black Lives Matter, that they keep putting their money where their mouth is to help build our communities. You're right, Marcy. I actually don't spend a lot of time thinking about Black um, banks, you know, and I talk a lot about like wealth and women having more money, um, but I don't think I connected to like financial institutions, but that's huge. I mean, shout out to the Atlanta Hawks. They are doing the thing like that is freaking huge. That's amazing. And um, I imagine that, that, you know, if I thought about the pop the populace of the 18 that exists, I'm sure eight of them are in Atlanta. <laughs> so, right, like that's that's, that's a big deal. <laughs> That's truly all black everything. Let's uh, move on to TVT. Uh, Marcy is going to be uh, taking over TVT this week. What do you have for us? So uh, in TVT, 
I have not been watching this show. However, my husband watched this show and because we are sitting in the same room, I have to be also um, subjected to it. But we, for the last couple of days, I guess Big Mouth just released season four. And I know I've talked about this on the show before a little while back, probably when we first started, when he first started watching it. Um, But we recently started watching season four and some of the things why I think it is wildly inappropriate and I'm still trying to figure out like who the actual audience for this show is because my goodness outside of that some of the conversations that they've been having too in particular that I just really appreciate um it just really it's being done so well and I appreciate when things on television are done well so for those of you that don't know Big Mouth is essentially a cartoon on Netflix, we're about four seasons in, that is about puberty. (laughs) And that is the nicest way to put this show because when when I say they talk about everything, all kinds of sex related things, like literally all of them and show all of these children engaging in all of these random acts (laughs) of inappropriateness, I cannot deal. Either way, though, there is all consensual and it's all children. So whatever they're doing, that's fine. But it is a lot. Um, These hormone monsters are a lot. The show is a lot. So anyway, the two things that are happening this season that I really appreciate is one, the way that they're talking about mental health with these children. And they basically like one of them um, has anxiety. So they have anxiety mosquitoes. And the anxiety mosquito, she like, she starts off as one, but then she multiplies and she's saying all of these things, like all of these worrying thoughts, like they're going to hate you. You're not going to, you're going to look ugly in that, or like you're going to talk to them and then they're just going to make fun of you. And the way that she does it and the way that they've created this anxiety is so accurate for people who experience anxiety. Like it is the most accurate depiction I've seen of anxiety in such a long time in a way that people can like take it in and think about it. There's also a depression cat or something like that. So yeah, it looks like the cat off of Alice in Wonderland. But again, she is so on point. She has this super like sultry um, voice and very just like monotone And, you know, you don't really need to go out and do these things. It's okay for you to lay in your bed and sleep all day. Like, it's so accurate that it makes me uncomfortable. But it's so good. Like, it's such a good representation of it. So that is the one thing I've been really excited about. And then the other thing is that there is this biracial girl on there named Missy. Um, She presents as being a Black woman, but you can tell that she has a complicated racial identity. because in her physical presentation of being Black, she very much so, quote unquote, talks white and has these very just like white experiences. Um, and her mother is white, her father is Black. So in this season, they're really exploring her struggling with people giving her feedback about what her Black identity is supposed to be. So she goes to visit these cousins in Atlanta and they're like, you can say the N-word. And she's like, oh my gosh, I cannot say the N-word. And so they do all these things. They go get her braids and they give her new outfits and she has to change her clothes and let go of these overalls that she's worn for three seasons. And she, there's even this moment in one of the scenes um, where they talk about her being voiced by like a 37-year-old white woman. <laughs> and it's ironic because it's like, y'all why is she being voiced by a 37 year old white woman so um that was also a lot of fun and then on this last episode that we recently watched 
there is another guy who is married to a white girl on the show. He's a black guy. He's married to a white girl. And he has a code switch button that. <laughs> this is making me like, listening to you talk about it. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> It's so funny. So, right, like me talking about it is uncomfortable, but watching it on the show is like, oh, y'all have really found a lighthearted way to do this. So he turns this dial and just talks about all of the different ways that he can be, he can be good for the the white, the white suburban moms. And you know, the white women walk past and they're a little scared. And he turns on this way of talking and he's like, I'm fine. But then he also has like very black and super duper black. <laughs> he's randall in cartoon form notice basically he's randall in cartoon form and the funny thing about that what is ironic is sterling k brown is playing a character on the season on this season i know my tv i know my tv you know your tv so it is just so good um and i'm not going to tell y'all all the things that have happened but definitely if you know someone who, if you're biracial, you know someone who's biracial, if you know someone who struggles with anxiety, depression, and you are okay with all of this like inappropriate sexual content, <laughs> mature audiences only, but also wanting to support Black artists. So like I said, Sterling K. Brown is on there. Maya Rudolph is on there. Um, Michael Keegan, P- Mike, Michael, Michael Keegan, Key. Mm. Key and Peel, the other one, Key, that one. He is also a voice on there. So, and they're supposed to be, so Missy, the one that I was just talking about, they're actually supposed to be casting a Black woman to voice her now. So I'm really excited about just seeing where the show goes. Um, again, I only catch little glimpses, but, you know, if they keep on talking about anxiety and racial identity issues. You know, that's my love language. So <laughs> I might have to tune in. <laughs> I love that. And I like you talk about who is this audience for? You and your husband? Y'all are the audience. <laughs> y'all are it. <laughs> Apparently, but y'all, I struggle so much. It just makes me so there is a so random. There is a side, there is an episode recently about her getting a really big period. And so she's like, oh, I'm not gonna put on a tampon because I want to break my hymen, right? So she puts on a pad and then they go to a lake because they're at camp get in the lake the pad comes off because duh but then it starts to swallow up like absorb the water in the lake and then it grows into this giant like oh god (laughs) it was gross and so it's stuff like that where I'm like what do y'all have me watching (laughs) (laughs) yes I cannot watch cartoons where they're doing inappropriate things because for me like the, the 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 um the dissonance between children and appropriateness is too strong. So I actually could never watch it. Um, listening to you talk about it was painful. And, <laughs> but I think our audience is going to love this. So thank you for bringing it. It's uh, so good for TVT. So watch Big Mouth um, and check out more episode details for it in the episode notes. So that wraps up this week's episode of School and Life. Um, make sure you check us out next week. Uh, we will have um, new episodes uh, through the uh, month of November, and then we'll be going into 2021 with you. Uh, before this year is out, make sure you tell a friend about School and Life. Let them know that it's your favorite podcast and they should listen too. We can't wait to talk to you next week. School's out. Class dismissed.